0: Welcome back to another episode of Remyumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is a little different. Today's episode is an interview I had with Gary Stone over at Topic Discuss. Thanks for coming back to another episode. The format of this one is a little bit different. I was interviewed last night, July 29th, over at the podcast, Topic Discuss by Gary Stone. He wanted to discuss about morality and ethics. So I joined him on his podcast and we had an excellent chat about a wide variety of topics. So this episode is the audio from that interview. Gary Stone is a great guy. It was a fun chat that we had together, and I recommend, after listening to this episode, going and checking out his podcast. You can go find it on YouTube and wherever you find podcasts. It is called Topic Discuss. And so, I'm going to transition now into the interview.
1: Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? Welcome to Topic Discuss. Thanks for having me. So Scott, the topic that I've been given to discuss is morality, and so you and I are going to discuss that topic and i I think that the concept of morality is um, really interesting to talk about, right mm-hmm. uh, and, and as I was preparing for this episode and, and I have been for a while i've you know you can you can kind of dive into Aristotle or to mm-hmm. Socrates or to, 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 early philosophers. Um, and then you can kind of get into what, 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 are ethics and you can look at modern philosophy, but I, uh, had an opportunity to listen to you on a podcast, talk about morality and I was hooked. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to turn the time to you to introduce yourself in whatever way you would like. And, okay. um, take the lead on the discussion
0: <laughs> well i'm scott i'm the host of a podcast called Ramyemptum ruminations i also do another podcast i haven't mentioned it too much but i'm i do a live play D podcast with a couple of buddies um that one's called 12-sided oh. guys um so i post an episode on each of these every week
1: for my kids that are watching just to say that again you do you do D D. yeah dungeons and dragons like, i i yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> my 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 kids have been wanting to do it so i'm going to we'll have awesome. to share that with them
0: yeah so um there's lots of different live plays that you can listen to basically people record themselves playing with their friends and they post the episodes it's it's a blast we're doing it as just as a fun hobby we were already playing anyway but yeah so that's so those are the two podcasts that i run uh rammington ruminations is more centered towards uh, religious deconstruction, uh, specifically the Mormon religion. I grew up Mormon. I was raised in that faith, that faith tradition. As I learned more about history, I found myself believing less and less in religion. And it was almost kind of like an even transition as the more I learned about the history of the world, the less I believed in the histories that I was told as a child. I kept it nuanced. And what I mean by that is I, for me, religion is a construct to bring cultures and families and societies together. And these, these shared stories that they tell, I think the original purpose less than talking about history, because history as we know it wasn't invented until Herodotus started doing it around, I'm not looking this up. It's right around 500 BCE, but before that time, People weren't writing histories. They were writing tales and and myths about their gods to teach lessons, to teach people what the important things were for their cultures. So I still looked at the Mormon religion and religion in general as these shared myths to talk about what was important for people to believe and how to act in society. So even though I didn't myself necessarily believe in God, I saw the value in many of the systems on the flip side, there were many aspects of it that were harmful. And part of my motivation of making my podcast is to speak out against those harmful systems while doing it in a way for a believer or a nuanced believer or someone who just doesn't know and hasn't decided might be able to listen and see things from different angles. So in my my podcast, Rami Some Ruminations, I try and present every aspect from a couple of different angles
1: so when you talk about hit the history and and um when um uh, documentary history really started you're, you know, it was around 500 BC, uh, prior to that, it, th- they were oral traditions, mythologized. Uh, mm-hmm. and today we even see some of that, that still exists through native American culture. Of course, Much of that is oral history. That's, that's, there's a lot of mythology to tell a tale, but just because that in their mythology, they're, a Sasquatch exists does not make Sasquatch real.
0: <laughs> exactly. I think there's right. there's an important distinction. You can believe something is true, but that doesn't mean it's true. I could believe that the earth is flat. That will never make it flat. No matter how much I believe in it, it will never change the fact that it's not flat.
1: Yeah. So when you started to um, kind of... well, Well, let's just talk a little bit historically then um mm-hmm. in you, any of your studies what when did uh from your perspective scholars or uh philosophers really begin to to talk about morality and how who really or from your perspective why did that really become defined well so
0: in my opinion i think morality and the, the study of ethics, which is basically just the study of morality. Religion has been doing that since the beginning of time. If you look at any faith traditions, they're trying to say, this is what we're supposed to do, this is what we're not supposed to do. And they, they come up with many different reasons for, for why you should or shouldn't do a thing. So I think, I think it actually started with faith traditions and was later separated from them by the philosophers that we mention. But it started in its inception with, with religious texts and religious leaders saying, this is what we should do, this is what we shouldn't do, because God said so. And whatever God that might be, I mean, we can we can go to the East or the West, whatever faith tradition it is. At its core, they're trying to teach people how to live a good life. Morals and ethics start there, I think.
1: I'm going to just throw this out there, and and I have viewers that might correct us, or um, other other podcasters that that might would know more than this. But in my study of world religions um, and morality, I agree with you, right? There's a, a social construct that it, it, it's almost a, a way of managing a society and a culture. You mm-hmm. do that through religion and politics to a degree, but there's one religion that um, really created a set of rules that were pretty arbitrary and called them a morality code and it's judaism right the abrahamic religion when when you really look at like other semitic religions or religions that that were in the levant at the time and and other Mm -hmm. cultures the code of ethics and the morality related to how we're going to interact with nature right and explaining storms and tornadoes and lightning Mm -hmm. that ruin your crop your crops and morality around how you treat each other, and just maintaining society, right, and managing mm-hmm. society. But when you look at the code of ethics and, and moral lo- codes and moral law within Judaism, when you read the Old Testament, they, they they really are so so arbitrary. Very, I mean, people think the Ten Commandments are is really it, but that, that's not it. It's you know, don't don't milk your goat with, or feed your mother's goat to your, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> oh, completely yeah. arbitrary that really they, they, it didn't make any sense. And I, I don't know why that happened. We'd have to have some, um, some, uh, ancient Jewish scholars teach us yeah. why that happened.
0: I th- I think you get some remnants of the code of Hammurabi in what's happening in the, um, in the old Testament there, where they're trying to set up a, a a system, a society and have rules for everything that happens, rules for how, how you can beat your slave and how close you can get to killing them without getting in trouble. And there's rules for all of these random things in the old Testament that, um, a lot of them are taken and reinterpreted from them, looking at the code of Hammurabi and adapting that to their culture. So it's, it's them taking this, these morals of society and incorporate, incorporating them with their religion, with their beliefs. And they did it on a, on a way of like, you will be unclean if you do this, you have to go and you know, have a priest cleanse you, or uh, things along those lines, if you break the rules. So
1: are you saying then that morality is invented by humans?
0: <laughs> so there's... <laughs> There's a lot of different ways that we can look at this. I think the way that most people... So the question you posed um, at the beginning was that many people that believe in God, um, they think that God is the only way, the only real way to get to morality. And that, that type of ethics is tif- typically referred to as supernaturalism or God-based, God-based ethics. Um, it's a theory that God dictates what the ethics are, and we have to follow them. He is the only, or she is the only source of morality, and they determine what is right and wrong. And the only way to lead a good life is by doing what God says. So that type of, of code of ethics is called supernaturalism. And that's what most of the world followed for a long time.
1: And it's, the supernatural meaning either, uh, that could be... That could be uh, the gods of, of lightning, or it could be a uh-huh. monotheistic god.
0: Yeah, right? it could be any of the pantheons around the world. Um, monotheism is kind of a, a new invention um, that uh, the the ancient Israelites were actually polytheistic, and then they switched to henotheism, but... Um, this code, these supernatural beings, whoever they are, whatever the the thought system is, if you de- if you say morality is determined by a supernatural force, be it God or whatnot, then that would be supernaturalism. And there's some problems with that. one One of the famous ones that I discussed on my podcast is the Euthyphro dilemma. It's Socrates chatting with a, a guy named Euthyphro, and he he poses the question basically, could God ask you to do something that's bad? And if he did, would it be bad? If God said, you need to go and murder this person, and then you go and do it, is that thing good? God said so. God told you to do it. Does it become a good thing because God said so?
1: So we have examples of that throughout religions, right?
0: Yeah. And then some of the softer ones, you could say just the changing of commandments throughout history. If you study the Old Testament, the New Testament, Christianity today, Christianity throughout throughout the ages or any religion throughout the ages, they're going to have slight shifts in what they believe. Each new religious leader is going to talk about what's important to them and he's going to add his or her perspective to the conversation. And it's going to slightly change what things are important to God and what isn't based on whatever this religious leader is teaching. Um, For example, you might have one person come in and say, oh, you know, we're going to have this this code that says we can only wear this type of clothes. Like you have in in Leviticus, it says you can't wear... You can't mix your cloths. You can only wear one type of fabric at a time. If you don't, it's a sin. And then you have the next prophet come in and say, no, 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 we're just kidding. We're not going to do that anymore. Well, then which one was from God? Right. And so... The, the implication of this is if God can come down every couple hundred years and say, you know what? I changed my mind. We're going to go in this whole new direction. What is to stop him from becoming a monster and commanding us to do terrible things? So if God can command us to do anything and anything that he commands us to do is good, He's he becomes indistinguishable from a monster. You cannot you cannot distinguish his motives from that of of a villain.
1: So Scott, I just want to I just want to press on that for just yeah. just a minute because um, what that really means is that because because I know that there will be viewers who are going to say, um, you know, well, not my religion, right? Like, but but I think it's important to just kind of highlight that this is a supernatural. Uh, form of morality or Mm -hmm. or assuming that morality comes from a new supernatural source we have evidence throughout history in every single religion in Mm -hmm. every there's no one there's no exception because super the supernatural forces are your source for morality anything goes Mm -hmm. murder beheading people polygamy um uh, what, whatever you want to 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 call it it it's it, it, that that's the fallacy you're saying of, of a supernatural source for morality mm-hmm. If god says it's good you know then it's good and when god says it's not good anymore then that's that's fine too yeah um but and the messenger uh, that's that's channeling god you know could be a tyrant mm-hmm. <laughs> or or whoever right and and lead us down a, a bad path
0: yeah so i think i think the simple solution to this gods and the supernatural we need to separate them from the leaders that are talking and like teaching us about them when we have a code of morals let's just let's just say I mean, we're not going to go dig too deep into the ethics if there's a code of rules that god would uphold Whatever these whatever these rules might be, perhaps they are more eternal than the rules that that religions present us with regularly. So, for example, if your religion says you're not going to be worthy if you don't drink or pardon me, you're not going to be worthy if you drink coffee. That hasn't been a rule for the entire history of humanity. So why why does it matter now to God that people do that? I think we impose God's will on societal norms where if there is a God, I don't think he cares if you drink coffee or not. It's probably a problem in presentation with what prophets and, and religious leaders say, but we read God into the words of man. So if there is a God. Right. He would be more consistent. I would, I would envision him or her as being much more consistent than what is presented by many of the religions today.
1: Well, and so going back to Socrates, you know, I think that's that's interesting because that that was right around the time there was this Hellenistic influence that we saw mm-hmm. in Christianity, which is probably a whole other topic.
0: the The Jews were in captivity. Um, between by the Assyrians and the Babylonians from like seven hundred and then five hundred, and then when the Persians conquered, they they freed all the Jews, told them to go home and rebuilt their temple. So they were under Persian rule. Then when Alexander the Great came around, conquered the world, came from the other direction. Then he Hellenized um, the whole known world, and so from you know three hundred BCE, you have these, you have this um, Greek influence on the entire world, and that. That hasn't gone away
1: since then, right? And so that Greek that Greek influence included these Greek philosophies, right? Mm-hmm. Where Greek philosophers were coming forward and saying, "Yeah, we 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 think we can explain the natural world with um, you know math and and science." What they thought of as math and science, mm-hmm. and we we really should. And I don't know that they necessarily didn't believe in God. Some did, and some didn't. Yeah, but the majority of them did. Yeah, they separated God from from science and and philosophy, saying there's a way to explain famine. There's a way to explain. um, And and then therefore, there's a way to mitigate those Mm -hmm. issues. Right. Yeah. To your
0: point, Hippocrates, um, the same for the Hippocratic Oath, his major contribution was not understanding the way the body works. He understood less than many of his contemporaries. The Egyptians really understood how the body worked. But what Hippocrates did that was different is he started using observations. And he tried to say, basically, his his contribution was saying, regardless if the gods influence the diseases and the illnesses that I'm seeing or not, I need to observe them and figure out what's happening. And from, from him on, it basically established this Scientific method that we have today, where he they believed in the gods, they just they just ignored them when they were doing science, if you will, or rather, they were trying to understand the world and see what rules operated everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's there. There, there, there's just this separation, and mm-hmm. it's hard to explain in our context because we live in the 21st century. Yeah, right? but. But they 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 created that separation and and um, you know like you said making observations and and recognizing this person has a disease that wasn't caused by a demon um, yeah <laughs> possession or or caused by a god or 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 the supernatural. I like that you use the word supernatural because it's any supernatural intervention. They they really were saying no. There's a observable natural explanation. Well, part
0: of it, too, is they were they would say things such as, you know, even if Zeus cursed us and this is happening, what he has done, we can measure it and observe it. You know, even if it's a demon possession or even if it's a witch, here are the things that we can do to figure out if it's really a witch. Do they float in holy water? Things like that. Like they would they would use science to the best that they could. They were they were limited in the way that they assumed these supernatural things had more of an influence on the world than they did.
1: So then, as we kind of think more about morality, and so you, are there other forms of morality you oh, expand yeah. on? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So
0: there's there's a lot of different types of morality, a lot of different ways that people come to um, conclusions about what is right and what is wrong, and I can I can briefly go through a couple of them what inherently makes stealing wrong is it the action itself is it the consequences of it yeah so so what inherently makes
1: stealing are you harming someone else right are you harming Mm -hmm. someone else or yeah what's your motive to do it yeah do you know you're stealing if you do it yeah
0: Mm -hmm. so there's all these things kind of go into it and so all so basically the way morality can be summarize or there's a bunch of different if you will schools of thought um the first one i'll talk about is is the deont- deontological ethics these are like uh duty-based so what this would be is regardless of the consequences regardless of the motives there is a set list of things that are right and wrong for example like traffic laws laws of your your local city or your state, these would be like duty-based rules that you're just supposed to follow because it's the right thing to do, regardless of your motive, regardless of the consequences of you following those rules. And so that would be de- deontological. And that's, that's like, regardless of outcome, regardless of motive, it's the right thing to do always
1: but where do the where do the list of right things to do come from in that model?
0: <laughs> well, in that model, you would have to debate, and a lot of people talk about it and they come up with different lists and such. but but they typically try and come up with what would be good things to do at their core. So, if you'd say that that we are duty bound to never lie, then lying would be inherently wrong, regardless as if you lied and it made someone feel better like it would still be wrong to lie. So that would be like the the
1: logical approach to it. Yeah. Because, because you could, you could also lie to survive. Of course. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. So you could lie to survive and, and, but it would still be wrong based on these duty based ethics. I wouldn't consider myself part of this camp. The next one, uh, the next way to to look at morality is uh, called consequentialism. I mentioned this one briefly, but it's basically you can determine if a thing is right or wrong based on the consequences of the action. A camp that a lot of people fall into would be like utilitarianism. It's basically whatever action does the most good is the right action to take. In war, lots of people get killed. But, you know, if you're fighting a tyrant, it's okay because you're killing bad guys. Those are air quotes for those that are just listening. It's okay to kill a tyrant because you're doing more overall good. But normally it wouldn't be okay to kill. So that's kind of the idea of of consequentialism. And in this also, it would be okay to lie if it did enough good to counterbalance the negative effects of it.
1: Does that, could that include the ends justify the means?
0: Definitely, that is 100% the okay. ends justify the means, yes.
1: I don't know that I like, I, I don't know that I like the ends justify the means. I don't either, but, and
0: I'll, yeah. I've, I've saved the one that I like the best for last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we'll go through a couple of them before we get there. <laughs> the, okay. the next one is called subjectivism. And the the best way to describe this is from a John Steinbeck quote. He wrote uh, The Grapes of Wrath, and and it's just this two-sentence snippet. It says, there ain't no sin and there ain't no virtue. There's just stuff people do. (laughs) So basically, the idea of subjectivism (laughs) is right and wrong are just constructs of humanity, of society, And any sort of morality we ascribe to an action says more about the way we look at culture than the action would do. A lot of people, when they look at, you know, the natural world, they kind of look at it like this. Because who is to say what's right and wrong? And, you know, outside of humanity, if we're looking at, you know, laws of morality for toads or for whatever the whatever it is bacteria even the, the laws of morality that we would put on ourselves are not going to match up so so it's it's all subjective so that's that's what subjectivism asserts then the last one and i like this one the best this one's virtue ethics it's,
1: so this is your favorite
0: one th- this one is my favorite one and okay. it's it's pretty simple it says a right act is the action a f- a virtuous person would do
1: In the same circumstances so define virtuous
0: (laughs) we could debate for hours on that but i think in my mind these virtue ethics it's someone who is good and kind and who has practiced their kindness and who has practiced serving others and who has practiced telling the truth and picking up the trash that they see on the side of the road. The person who's practicing these daily virtues of being a good citizen for their their city, a good neighbor to their, their friends around them, a person that's practicing these virtues is just going to know the right thing to do in any given situation. Whether that right thing to do is hard or not, that depends on the situation. But someone who is practicing kindness, who is genuinely considering other people, it's just going to do the right thing.
1: That includes um, kind of our innate ability to have empathy. The other
0: side of virtue ethics that I think is really important is it acknowledges that people can make mistakes. And sometimes they might act in a way that's not virtuous. That's, that's just how people are. We've observed human nature. Everyone, everyone is sometimes not nice that's just mm-hmm. that's just how it is but in virtue ethics you look at a person's overall character so everyone's going to have a bad day but you can trust that a virtuous person is going to do the right thing more often than the wrong thing just because they're practicing these daily kindnesses and these daily niceties to be a good citizen and a good neighbor
1: yeah and so i just want to kind of like explore Virtue ethics as, as mm-hmm. this uh, kind of platform or, or model yeah. for morality, because part of what my, where my mind goes it, a lot with human behavior is evolution and how mm-hmm. we became what we are today. Um, in yeah. comparison, cause we make comparisons with other animals. I've, I've talked before in, in some of my podcasts about oxytocin, for example, and how oxytocin is, is kind of a neurotransmitter that bonds us together, um, through physical touch and through other, you know, kind of reproduction and other things. Mm-hmm. And so there, and, and it all relates to survival, uh, and so, society and, and, you know how we can survive and thrive and, and excel as a species and and so it are you saying or do you see within uh, the the human um nature and and in, and in how we've evolved that virtue ethics and that's why i bring up empathy because mm-hmm. empathy is yeah. is somewhat of a survival mechanism it mm-hmm. in terms of survival of the species uh, and bonding with our children and those kinds of things so Make that connection further with virtue, virtue ethics and evolution.
0: Yeah, so I think the subject of morality is something we discuss because we're trying to understand these evolutions that have happened within us, you know, we, we have been raised in these family units, we have been with evolution, we we have, we have learned these traits that have helped us survive. And I think, in my opinion, that the study of morality is just understanding what those things really mean. Like, what does empathy really mean, and how does how does empathy okay. portray itself in a complex society? You know, when we were climbing down from the trees and taking our first steps as as mankind, why did empathy help us then? And why, why did it stick with us? Or, you know, when whenever it was learned, whenever it was added to the human race, those things that helped then might look very different than what helps us today. And so I think the study of, of ethics is just understanding how these ideas like empathy and families and duty, what they look like in a really complex society.
1: So they're theoretical frameworks and theoretical models, right? Because... I, I, um, if, if we use evolution just a little bit further, Mm -hmm. when I look at a, a, my, I I use, I talk about my parents' dogs all the time on the podcast and I see these two dogs, they're fairly old Mm -hmm. and you know, they, they, they connect with us, um, more so than cats would Part of that is oxytocin part Mm -hmm. of that's oxytocin is released in a dog when you pet it, not so in a cat that had to have been learned somewhere. It, it, and and it, and it had to have been a you know favorable gene that mm-hmm. that expressed itself and 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 part part of why dogs are in a in a pack and that kind of thing, but they fight over food but then when you look at chimpanzees um that they're the very closely related the most mm-hmm. closely related species to humans, and they share food in fact, yeah. it's part of their pair bonding right they want when they take a bite, they want mm-hmm. you to take a bite. Right or each other, and yeah. it, it's part of it's part of this bonding experience that we relate to. Like when I watch a chimpanzee, um, you know, feed its human friend, uh, take he he takes a bite and gives his human friend a, a bite. I, I mm-hmm. just I really relate to that. You know, that's part of our species and how we bond and and create and and we do bond over food. Mm-hmm. We see that throughout many many oh, cultures. Yeah. And again, because it it. That evolutionary process creates a society that that particular species needs in order to survive and thrive, and and create these social bonds. And I think what you're saying is, yes, we have evolved as a human species to have very, very complex brains. Mm-hmm. Um, complex enough that we're aware of our own consciousness. We're aware yeah. of our own morality. And we see this in Kidu and, and the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that whole Epic is about Gilgamesh realizing morality or mortality is real. And he's going to die too, because his friend yeah. Enkidu dies.
0: In the Epic of Gilgamesh, when I was reading yeah. his, he exclaims, and it's just so like gut-wrenching when his friend dies. And it's this moment of, yeah. I'm never going to see my friend again. But I'm gonna die too, and it's just like I was reading it. I'm just in tears. Like it's just such a powerful moment in literature.
1: That awareness is makes us so complex and unique in the animal kingdom, and and therefore we then begin to um, try to make sense of this, which is what Gilgamesh was doing, and and mm-hmm. and many other religions have have done, and religious leaders is I, I have got to explain this, and I got to figure out how to. Survive. I mean, we've yeah. evolved with these mechanisms to survive. And then but then when we realize that we're mortal and that we are going to die, all our brain can think is we no, we can't die. We got to survive because we, mm-hmm. you know, our our primitive brains want to survive.
0: Yeah. And, it's almost a competition and, between the primitive brain and the cognitive brain.
1: Right. And that cognitive brain is where these social constructs and this higher level of thinking, you know, I guess comes from. And what I think you're saying is. That there are very various uh, theoretical frameworks to try to explain this and mm-hmm. and figure out how do we live together in society and and so therefore we really do as a human species make up morality moralities whether it's supernatural morality or virtuous mm-hmm. morality it is coming from us in an attempt to explain why we are who we are, why we are what we are, and why we need each other. Mm -hmm. It's also
0: an attempt to express a framework of what the ideal um, person would interact in any given situation or how to figure out what the ideal action would be in any given situation. And so someone who approaches, the, approaches it through like the virtue ethics lens is going to use all of the tools. He's going to look at the consequences of the action. He's going to look at the motivation of the action. He's going to look at, at the action itself and weigh all of these things and use all of the tools of these other ways of viewing morality in order to come to a good judgment of what is right and what is wrong going back to the supernatural side of things there's one more point that i wanted to make about this is is oftentimes when you say that god is the one that dictates your morality the choices that you make that are right are transactional and what i mean by that is someone is going to is going to obey the commandments because it will get them into heaven or because it will keep them from going to hell. Now that isn't the motivation for everyone. I'm not, I don't want to say that as a blanket statement for everyone, but many people, the reason that they don't sin is because they don't want to go to hell. And so the question then is, if you're doing a good thing for a bad motive, is it still a good thing?
1: Right. And that, that's the fallacy of, that's another fallacy of supernatural yeah. morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, th- and, and I also think many people that I know who will say, well, the reason that I do something good is because I believe I will be blessed. Yeah. With some reward in this life. Like if I, if I don't drink coffee, then I'm going to be rewarded with mm-hmm. some other thing. Right. Or if I yeah. pay my tithes. To my church that I'm going to be blessed with more money or wealth or, you know, that's prosperity gospel kind of Mm -hmm. ideas. But it's still, you know, it's, it's, um, it's supernatural.
0: Yeah. It's a
1: supernatural hope.
0: Mm -hmm. But then it, it changes the motivation for your, for doing whatever the action is. And so there's, there's an interesting thought experiment to look into this. Let's say there is a child drowning in a lake. And a person walks up, they see the child drowning. Of course, it's not going to be any harm to them. They're going to run out to the lake. They're going to save the kid. What if this same person earlier that day was hypnotized and the hypnosis put over them was if you see a child drowning, you have to go and save the child, essentially becoming like a robot, if you will. This same person goes and sees the child without thinking, without processing, goes and saves the child. Is it a good action? Because there was no motivation for it. They were compelled to do it. Right, right. And so, on one hand, you do have the, you know, if you will, like a net morality of saving a kid. That's a good thing to do. But mm. for the action for them personally, the person that did the saving, is it, would it be chalked up as a good thing? Because they didn't control it. They were basically a robot in this situation. And you can take it even further. You can say, You go, you go and you see this child drowning and someone pulls a gun on you and says, you have to save this child or I will shoot you. And so, of course, yeah, 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 I don't want to get shot. And so you run and you save the kid. Was that a good action? You did it because you were going to get shot. And the same thing could say it's you. You walk up. There's two people there. One says, "Oh man, I don't want to get my clothes wet. Here, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks. You go and save that kid. I'm going to stay here." And then the person takes 100 bucks. Sure, goes and <laughs> saves the kid. They got paid to save the kid. <laughs> it, it's laughable. But this is the way morality is presented within Christianity. You do a bad thing, you're going to be shot. You're going to hell. You do a good thing, you're going to get money. You're going to go to heaven. And We laugh at it because. It, neither one of those yeah. is a moral choice because you're being rewarded or punished. It's transactional. It is purely for your own benefit when you look at it like that. I think when Christianity looks at morality from this lens, they lose the point because that is not what Christ taught at all. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount, let not your right hand know what your left hand does. Do thy good deeds in in secret. You know, his this whole sermon has a long stretch where he's basically saying. Do good for the sake of good and he does say you'll be rewarded you know in heaven and there is there is talk of reward but the motives for it that he's talking about he's he's trying to reframe it in a very interesting way but I, I feel like I feel like people who look at morality transactionally like this have missed the point of what Christ was trying to teach
1: going back to virtue your uh your concept of, of... Or, or it's, it's not. I guess it's not just yours, but your favorite yeah. concept is virtue, mm-hmm. virtue ethics, or virtue morality. And I think what's interesting to think about is, um, or what I feel like that you're saying is, is you're 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 using data uh, like all like you're you're weighing all of the different scenarios around you and 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 using data to kind of determine in this situation what would. What would be the most virtuous thing? No,
0: no, yeah. so what you're saying is is spot on., I I'm going to go back to Socrates because he said it real well. now this this quote is it's what people say he said during his trial when he was sentenced to death. And in that trial, he's quoted as having said, "The unexamined life is not worth living." And as you said, it's looking at the data. it's It's examining who you are as a person, why you're acting the way you're acting." Is the way you're acting harming other people, even unconsciously, even if it's not your motive? Is it hurting people? And and should you change? Would it hurt you to change to be a better person? Looking at your life and looking at the world around you to try and be a better person. And, and that's that's what I see as, as virtue ethics. And it is, like you said, you're looking at the data. You're using all of these other forms of ethics and determining right and wrong to practice doing what's right and wrong. And that's that's the key with virtue ethics is, is someone who's practicing doing the right thing is going to continually do more of the right things.
1: Where do you see virtue ethics being practiced the most in societies? Oh, man. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I, I honestly... One of, one of my biggest frustrations with the way people are is wherever you go, people are just not nice. And that isn't everyone as a whole. But if you're looking at the political spectrum, if you're looking at different countries, if you're looking at whatever the paradigm you want to look at, we as, huma- as humans fail to see... Other humans as humans. If you identify as a Republican or a Democrat, you can't look at the person from the other party and see them as a person. And I, yeah. I feel like, unfortunately, the society we live in, interconnected with the internet and 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 everything the way it is, I, I don't, I don't see ethics being practiced. And I don't see it.
1: So, what do you think? Why do you think that is? Especially in in, in today's world,
0: honestly. I think a big part of it is the way the algorithms and a lot of the apps that we use, Facebook and you know, whatever it is, they get more views if they're angry or they get more views, more attention, if it's going to be a jab at someone who disagrees with them. And the way we have built our society around instant gratification for dehumanizing other people, just the way so many of the systems are built are just not for the people. And I, I think I think it's a core problem with our society, but it's not a new problem. This is not new; it's yeah. just got new <laughs> new ways of manifesting, if you will. Mm-hmm. All throughout history, this has been the way we've treated each other.
1: So I'm going to um, just reference um, uh, Roger Plotho. i I know how many viewers, or if you've watched that, we we actually spend time. It's um, the title of that show is um the avoiding apocalypse okay. because social media and and the fact that we live in the information age has really compounded these problems right where mm-hmm. where we are we are uh invoking a a unreal or supernatural source to use it to determine how we're going to behave mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing this right now in the pandemic um and vaccines and and mm-hmm. masks uh, you know people are invoking this source um from online to make a decision about how they're going to act and behave and mm-hmm. and it's easy at that point to demonize anyone else and it's just exacerbated the problem because they're they're not willing to really vet their source or critically think so what are your thoughts then what my my hope in, of the future is that as we <laughs> As we think more critically and and learn how to have empathy and 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 learn how to improve society, sometimes I like to think about what uh, the 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 universe that people live in on Star Trek, the next oh, generation, right? We're That's there. the goal.
0: That's the goal.
1: <laughs> They've, ab- they've abandoned superstition, and they—they've—they're are they, you know—they're accepting, and and they've learned how to use technology to eliminate scarce resources. What are your thoughts about how we move forward um, with in a, in, with virtue ethics? Um, because our organizations, including religions, have really failed us in this area.
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. Oftentimes, throughout history, it has been these religious organizations that have been the impetus for some of the most heinous crimes against humanity that have ever been committed. But what do we do? What do we do about this? Yeah.
1: How do we move forward?
0: Yeah. How do we move forward? (laughs) For me, I have decided to maintain a tone with the podcast that I produce of neutrality and acceptance. In the space that I exist in, sometimes they're not always nice to people that disagree with them. They don't always give, give credence or space to someone who disagrees with them. And I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think that that is what would engender this sort of world that we're talking about, this Star Trek utopian society. The rhetoric and the tone that I talk in when I'm creating content that would be heretical, or, you know, basically (laughs) against religion. I'm trying to do it in a way where I present the topics, and I I speak about it kindly, gently, and allow space for someone to disagree with me, allow space for a believer to say, okay, even though these are the facts, I still believe. And if you can look at someone who disagrees with you, recognize that you're never going to agree on this. And still love the person, still accept the person. I think those are the first steps to making a better society. That's not the example we get in politics. That's not the example we get in, you know, international discourse that we have. It's hatred, it's they're the enemy. But if we could just stop for a second and recognize that someone who might disagree with you vehemently might also love the exact same TV show that you love. They're a human, they're a person. You know, we could we could be on a complete different sides of the political spectrum, but we've just established that we both love Star Trek. So we at least have that in common. But it's so much more than that. We are humans. We have so much in common. And and these constructs of political parties and nations and these identities, they're made up. They're 100 percent right. made up. Right. And and when you look at the Star Trek, this example that we're saying. They did away with all of that because they right. saw that they were made up and they made one humanity. And until we can get to any sort of ideal like that, I think we're going to have problems.
1: I know that some of my viewers will think, well, it's just so overwhelming. What will fix it all is when Jesus comes again.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, that is one way to look at
0: it. But... Now, I, I personally don't believe he's coming back. That's, that's my belief. But for a person that does believe, what if we created a, this utopia and Jesus came back and was like, whoa, guys, you did it. Good job. <laughs> would you rather him say that or would you rather him come down and just crush everyone? Right. If I was a believer, if I'm someone who is, who is waiting for this moment for Christ to come back. I want the world to be good. I want the world to be ready. I don't want my neighbors to burn.
1: I love what you're saying. Yeah, because what what have we done if you are going to be a believer and you your answer cannot be it cannot be well Jesus is going to come and fix it. You yeah. fix it. You exactly. Fix it.
0: Right? Because that goes right back to these basically the immorality of trusting a deity to give you commandments. If you're saying I can't do anything and you're pushing all of the responsibility off on God, you you have no reason to be a good person. You have no reason to try and and save an endangered species. The morals of just sitting and doing nothing are so much worse than someone who, even if you believe he's coming back, someone who stands up and fights for equality, someone who stands up and fights for an endangered species, That person has has a far more superior set of morals than someone who just says, "Nah, Christ is going to fix it. There's nothing I can do.
1: There's nothing I can do except say my prayers." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that might be heretical to some, but yeah, I think yeah, because I think I think the other thing too that I really like what you said is, and you do this very well in your podcast. You talk very calmly and and straightforward. And then you do give space for people to think. One of the solutions that that I that I have, I guess, when I think about morality and ethics and and everything that we're doing, we have the ability up here. We have these incredible brains. Now Mm -hmm. you can believe that these brains were gifted to you by a creator, or you can recognize that our brains evolved to be what they are today. We can use this intelligence that we have and and this higher level of thinking and this empathy that we have to uh, make decisions um, that relate to how we treat each other, right? Mm -hmm. And how we think about each other and and how we are going to figure out how we're going to live together going forward. It doesn't really matter, you know, what societies existed in the past. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, we can talk about Socrates for a frame of reference. But then the question becomes, what do we do in the 21st century? And Mm -hmm. how do we figure out how we're going to live together? It's just
0: practice. If, If every single person on this planet can just practice being nice, practice listening to someone who disagrees with them practice trying to examine their lives to see if what they're doing is helpful or harmful it's these daily disciplines it's it's reflecting at the end of the day was i a good person today did i make the right choice not beating yourself up if you made a mistake but saying can i be better what could i do to be better if everyone just tried to be a little bit better We could create this this Star Trek utopia because in my mind, I don't believe in a traditional heaven, but that looks like heaven to me. If we can create a society where people can respectfully disagree and love someone who they don't get along with, if we can live in a society where these social constructs just aren't there anymore and people are just humans... That is heaven to me, and I think that's the goal when people study ethics and try and help people, help other people find a, a higher moral ground, if you will.
1: I, I want to pick your brain a little bit further about that because this is giving us something we can we can take with us after today's episode, right? Is yeah, it, practice. It's it's a matter of practicing virtue ethics every day. And for me, when I think about okay, I, I want to practice. Virtue ethics every day, how you know, and what difference that I make today? When I when I kind of think about how I would do that, I, I I realize that a lot of what impacts how I'm feeling and what I'm doing is what's going on in my brain and and what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So it really does start with a thought, and the thought mm-hmm. that we have have in our brain, which can be influenced by all the data that we're ingesting. Oh yeah, that's on social media. <laughs> So, how do you suggest our audience um, practice starting with our thoughts?
0: Everyone's journey is going to look a little bit differently. I get mm-hmm. that. Um, for me, when I left traditional Christianity, I was directed to secular Buddhism. But well, I just kind of dove head first. I started practicing meditation, it has helped me immensely. Uh, understanding just the core teachings that the Buddha taught, the Four Noble Truths, and the Eightfold Path. Those two things are what changed the way I see the world around me. In my mind, that's how I'm practicing these virtue ethics. And Buddhism definitely influences my decision-making process.
1: Will you explain those, what you just said the four. So uh, that would... Take, you know, maybe we'll meet
0: up again and we I okay. can go over okay. them a little bit more. But the, the Four Noble Truths, basically the Buddha is searching for the cause of suffering. He's recognized that everyone suffers and he wants to know why. And so the Four Noble Truths explore that. And the basis of it is we suffer because we want the world to be different than it is. We suffer because the way the world is, is different than what we want. You can take that in so many different directions and many different theologians have, but the basis for our suffering is unwillingness to accept life for what it really is. And then the eightfold path is basically steps on right ways to think, right ways to act, right ways to, you know, basically every aspect of your life to do it with intention, to do it with wisdom. So when you go through these steps and when you're learning about kind of the basics of buddhism that's what it goes through it just talks about being a good person and and understanding the world for what it really is and accepting that
1: i love it and and you you we we would hear this from other philosophers i mean i've heard eckhart tolle you Mm -hmm. know kind of talk about uh, accepting reality i I think one of the really big problems that we're seeing we saw it through the pandemic is and people could not accept reality yeah And um, it's the same thing. I mean, this is this, we could talk for hours about our societies today cannot accept reality, Mm -hmm. like what their reality is. Yes, there is such a thing as critical race theory. So you can be angry and suffer and make yourself suffer over that, or you can learn about it, accept it and, and, um, and understand realities, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of, you know, what you want it to be. Yeah. Is that, Mm -hmm. is that true?
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the, a simple way to look at this is if a loved one passes away, you're suffering because you want them to be alive still. And that's where the source of a lot of this grief comes from is because you miss that person in your life and you wish that they were still there with you. But if you can accept that they're gone, recognize that this life is transitory and that one day we'll all be gone too and when we see it for what it really is we can look at those moments that we had with this person that has passed and say they're gone and i'm sad that they're gone but i had so many great memories of with them while they were here you can reframe the way you're looking at a situation to recognize what it is without wanting to change it now that doesn't mean you can't have goals and work for things in the future but when something is causing you pain and suffering, it's because we're looking at it the wrong way and we're not seeing it for what it really is. I
1: love it. I think that that's a great place to end this yeah. episode. Sounds but good. I think, I think we're going to need future episodes to, to explore. But um, thank you, Scott, for yeah. taking time with me and mm-hmm. we'll do it again.
0: Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Gary Stone over at Topic Discuss about morality. As I said at the intro, go check out his podcast. He's a thoughtful guy and he has a lot of great things to say about a wide variety of subjects. If you're interested in following the other podcast that I'm part of that I did mention in this interview, you can go and look us up. We're called the 12 Sided Guys, and it's an actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast where we. Play Dungeons and Dragons, we tell a funny story, and we do the roles right there. It's a great time. My audience here might not overlap too well with that, but if it's something that you're interested in, I'm going to put a link in the episode description. As always, thank you so much for listening. The biggest takeaway I hope that the listener would take from this episode is that we should all live more examined lives to constantly be trying to be a better person and to make this world a better place. I hope that you have an excellent
1: day.